Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. He's Money Mainville. Coach Gas, 3-0 in the Big 12. Nothing else of note happened this weekend. How we doing, boys? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yesterday was uh, electric money. Uh, you wouldn't expect to win after a 20-0 run from the other team. How did it happen? I think I'm still trying to figure out. Uh, pretty, pretty impressive way to to claw yourself out of a hole um, on a day where you're shooting like five for 20 from deep, which ironically this team has done a handful of times this season and has won every single game that they've shot about 20% from deep in. But I really thought Warren Washington helped swing um, kind of the momentum of the game in the early parts of the second half. I thought he played some huge, huge minutes. And then obviously Joe Toussaint, just kind of grinding you out a couple of extra possessions where I know he was having a tough day at the rim, getting a lot of contact, not drawing a lot of fouls. Um, but I think this was a game where your most experienced players kind of showed up in a game where every minute mattered. Um, and then I thought Darion Williams was, was excellent as well. Uh, Kyle, we talked about this with Norrence Odiase uh, many moons ago. If you think back to the 2019 run, I'm just allow me to get there real quick. Uh, you had lost four in a row, I think, and you were playing West Virginia at home. Maybe it was the second game after the win streak started. Regardless, you're at home. You're in a tough spot. And Norrence Odiase absolutely punks a guy under the basket and rips the ball away after the play had ended. Uh, shades of that this weekend down. It's a rough point in the game and chance McMillan just picks up Tyler Perry's whole body with the ball. Uh, and I don't know who came up with it at the end, but it was a really tough play from chance McMillan. You have to see that from your players. You have to see that. Uh, and then I truly believe what Kyle uh, said after the game what Coach Gass says all the time and what Jerome Tang said after the game, the toughest team wins. You were just tougher than Kansas State uh, for large stretches of that game and when it mattered. Um, we talked about it at the end of the Kansas game against TCU. Hunter Dickerson slides his feet a little bit and gets that ball in. Uh, Joe Toussaint might have had a little bit of the same leeway, but hits his free throws and the game is over. Uh, Kyle. Uh, you talk about uh, analytics and numbers quite a bit. Uh, can you explain to me how one call at the end of a game isn't more important than the 100 calls that are made during the rest of the game? I could, but I don't think I would convince any Kansas State fans, um, or at least most of them. There's a few that – Shout out, Norris. Hey, there he is. Yeah, he had a he had a funny tweet right after that Chance McMillan tie up. He was like, basically, I'm not letting go of the ball. Like the refs are gonna have to come take it from me, even yeah. after they blow the whistle. Like I'm not letting go. Um, but yeah, the, that replay was hilarious. I didn't catch that live, but Chance McMillan like basically picked up Tyler Perry off the ground and made him like waddle a little bit. I was like, that that's tough. Yeah, that's tough. 
Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. If you're if this is your first Big 12 basketball game ever, you might have been shocked at what you saw. But the reality is over the course of 40 minutes, there are quite literally 100 calls or no calls that you could debate. And I get it. Like, it's maddening. And I've been watching college basketball games and thought to myself, this is such a bad product because of the officiating. I'm not going to watch it anymore. And, of course, I go back for more like a like a lamb being led to slaughter. So I get it. That was a key moment, and he, he traveled. I They showed the replay. I turned to my wife, and I was like, he traveled. But also, like, Pop Isaacs took a charge that they called a block, and we got mugged under the under the basket a hundred times with no call. So, yeah, he traveled, but also the refs didn't call a perfect game up to that point. So they were mostly, my sense as a Red Raider fan, so acknowledging some bias here, was that they were letting the guys play for 40 minutes. It wasn't a ticky-tacky game, a lot of contact. They seemingly tried to swallow the whistle if they could, and they did down the stretch as well. Um, so you can blame incompetence if you want. There's if, if the game was rigged, I would love to know why the officials allowed a 20-0 run in an effort to try and get Texas Tech to win. I feel like they could have. Um, cut that crap out a lot earlier before it got to 20 to zero. So it, it is what it is. We're, we're going to get screwed on a call like that later in the year. I'm sure uh, we've gotten screwed on calls like that uh, as recently as last season. Uh, Pop Isaacs got mugged against Kansas. We should have won that game and, and didn't. That's how it goes. I get the frustration in the moment because if they do call a travel there, you likely don't win. But it's Big 12 basketball. It's college basketball. We could nitpick 100 of those plays if we wanted to pull the tape. Yeah, and would you – let me ask you both this. Do you prefer that kind of game where they do swallow the whistle for the majority? There's not a lot of calls under the basket. You're letting them play. Or would you prefer a game that's called tight and you kind of get a lot of free throws and there's no rhythm to the game? Because I, I know what I like, and it's what played out this Saturday, win or lose. I, I agree with you, and, and it can be frustrating when your guy's shooting a layup and you feel like he's getting mugged and there's no call. But like I said, they were consistent in my eye on both ends of the floor and for all 40 minutes. And to me, consistency is key. Like that's premium over calling it tight versus calling it loose. But yeah, we've also played games against West Virginia where they called 55 team fouls and like that it's unbearable to watch. It's more than a foul per minute. So I get it's not ideal and you can nitpick a handful or or dozens of calls slash no calls. But to me, that's better than a game being interrupted over and over and over again. Yeah, I like a physical Big 12 basketball game. Again, I mean, consistency is everything. If, if your guys are getting whacked and, and they're not calling it, but they're calling it on the other end, I think that's that's a different story. And I think that that happens certain places more than others around this league. But I think when it's consistent, when it's even, you're letting them play. I like that style of Big 12 basketball game. And I think for Tech to win a game like that at this point in the season says a lot about kind of the identity of the team that they're finding. And they they really are leaning into this toughest team wins. I mean, they want to play this fast-paced, explosive offense that really is generated by the perimeter. 
but this game was won by them being the tougher team, by getting those tie-ups on loose balls, by not giving Kansas State a huge advantage on the offensive rebounding. I think those were things that, you know, coming into this game, you needed to see addressed. You needed to see leaned into a little bit more in this matchup. And they, they looked like a different team, but kind of what's been the story is, hey, they looked like a different team and they found a way to win once again. Well, I think Tang meant it sarcastically in his postgame presser, but by the end of the game, you know how they're calling it, you know the deal. And he said something like, you know, we had only been to the free throw line seven times, and so figured we probably weren't going to go to the free throw line. And it's like, yeah, and you can gripe about that and argue maybe you should have gotten more calls earlier in the game. But again, if the refs are calling it consistently, you know they're probably not going to give you a call. You're going to have to really earn it. And so as long as both teams know the deal and it's consistent, we can gripe about it as fans, but to me, that's all you can ask. And it didn't make any sense to me in that moment, in that game, to draw up the foul play. Okay, we're going to get a call here. Tyler Perry, go to the rim. Uh, especially when he shot so well from outside, uh, even at the line and behind for the rest of the game. I know he's a streaky shooter, always has been. I was certainly streaky on Saturday, but uh, Kansas State is going to beat some teams in the Big 12. Um, they're good again, uh, but to me, it was a little bit of a coaching malpractice there at the end to call that play in that moment, um, or at least have that on your mind. I don't know if it was technically a foul play, but uh, that's what Tang said in the pre- the post game. Uh, one question here: uh, a lot uh, thoughts on the lack of technicals on Kansas State. Tang ran onto the court. Have you all seen Shaka Smart? Uh, coach this year there was one possession they showed he was playing defense on the floor Uh, he stopped a guy from going to the corner that guy is always on the floor Uh, Jamie Dixon's big old size 16 boots are always on the court he gave uh, Kevin McCullough a twisted ankle back in the day Uh, they don't call that very often gas is on the floor sometimes Uh, but there was a technical on the guy who hung on the on the on the rim they missed it on the broadcast, but it was a double technical on him and Warren Washington that they did call. That's why they were. it looked like a no call because they were both called. Um, that should have been a one-way technical, in my opinion. He teabagged Warren Washington, and Warren Washington responded. But uh, I don't know. Uh, that, that seemed pretty obvious to me. My understanding and my interpretation of that sequence was that they called offsetting techs based on the trash talk after he got yeah. done hanging on the rim. So I still think that they got away with one there. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I And if it was the hanging on the rim and then the response, and that was the two technicals, or if it was completely after the play, um, it was still a no call basically at the end. Um, Warren Washington, though, was huge in the second half, I thought, from the middle of the paint, uh, doing those sky hooks that I'm begging him to stop. But if he's hitting them like this, you can't stop. You have to do that. If that's in his bag consistently, um, that is big for him. Speaking of bags, uh, the biggest play of the game, in my opinion, besides maybe the free throws from Joe Toussaint, was the two or three offensive rebounds there right under the basket, and then Lamar Washington going up and under to get that ball in. Wow. That was something we have not seen from him. His only two points in the game, but if we're looking at one basket or one call is the huge difference, then that was the difference in the game, in my opinion. 
And and speaking again of toughest team wins, that was a tough ass play. Yeah, that was tough. He started that sequence. This is a I would say average size guard who of the guys who play minutes for us plays the fewest minutes. Their starting big man gets the board. He rips it from him, passes the ball. We get another shot. He's 30 feet from the rim when the second shot in that sequence is taken. And he splits two would-be Kansas State rebounders, gets his second offensive board of that sequence, puts it back in and finishes like you said, Rob. I think he only played six or eight minutes, if that. But that was a loud sequence. And Kansas State, to their credit, even when we had momentum plays like that, kind of kept you at arm's length. Like you cut it to five and then they would get it back to seven. But in a one-point game, every single play like that matters. If he doesn't pull down either of those boards or he doesn't finish that shot, you probably still don't win the game. And kind of incredible that – I don't know. he That was such a loud play or sequence of plays, and then I don't think he got inserted back into the game after that. But I think that's exactly the kind of play McCaslin wants, and hopefully he earned himself more minutes moving forward and kind of earned more trust. Because I think those are exactly the kind of plays that they were talking about before, I think, the Oklahoma State game. They said, like, we're just not tough enough going after the ball on rebounds, loose balls. Like, I need guys that are willing to scratch and claw to get an extra possession for us. And um, Lamar Washington, in that moment, was doing everything he could. And so I think he might have earned himself. It didn't play out that way at the end of that game, but I think going into Big 12 play, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised at all if that was kind of a catalyst for more minutes for him. We kind of do this all the time. Uh, put current players into kind of roles of previous players here at Texas Tech and kind of say, if you could be that guy or he's a lot like that guy, and that's kind of our frame of reference. But if Lamar Washington can be a Justin Gray type and kind of have a mysterious box score but be really competitive and get a couple of boards and one big shot, and you look at the box score of Justin Gray quite a bit in those early years in, in the Tubby era and, and the Chris Beard era and say, wh- who, what did he do? And then if you watch the game, you're like, wow, that's a kind of an empty box score. But he was really, really important to that win. I don't know if he's the same kind of athletic scorer that Justin Gray was. but Yeah, and I think with his defense, too, almost gives you kind of like a Clarence Nadolny spike. I don't think as much energy on the defensive end. I think he's got better hands even, um, and then a little bit of a deeper offensive game. But I think you're kind of looking for another option coming off your bench just to give you some some juice, give you some minutes, because um, obviously this team is loaded at guard. But I thought outside of him, another huge play was Darion Williams and one after Warren Washington's missed free throw. He was everywhere in this game. I thought McCasland had an awesome quote on him post-game. We were talking about it a little bit last week about, you know, hey, it seems like he coaches Williams the hardest. There seems to be a lot of conversations between those two. After the game, he he said exactly that. He was like, yeah, ask anybody on the team who I'm hardest on. They'll say D5. And it just still feels like we're kind of scratching the surface on what he can be. Uh, just because of how versatile he is. I mean, there's no level of the court that you don't feel comfortable with him at. It, it's just really, really rare to see at his size with his versatility. I think they're just trying to figure out a way to get him to make that consistent across the board impact every game. And right now he is falling into that role really, really well. 
Um, elsewhere in the Big 12, we'll keep talking about this game for sure before we finish out on it. But elsewhere in the Big 12, uh, more wild finishes. Um, any other games you want to point out in the Big 12 before we wrap up this uh, this weekend in the conference? I know that BYU game, a lot of people were looking at with UCF, uh, Kansas, Houston, all kind of uh, showing themselves, in my opinion, this weekend again. I think Cincinnati is a lot better than their one and two Big 12 record. And they're, I don't think their schedule gets a lot easier in the next handful of games, but I think they're legit. And TCU, we bought stock early on. They beat Ken Palm and net number one Houston in a close game at home. I, I have no idea how, I don't know, their kind of tournament profile hasn't caught up to some of these analytics and metrics. They're like a Ken Palm top 25-ish team right now. And I think Lenardi still has them outside looking in, probably not after the win over Houston. But I don't know. I feel like TC has been this top 30-ish team for a long time in my eyes. People are still treating them like, I don't know, they might be the 10th best team in the Big 12 or something. Those are the only ones really, I, I think, I guess the last one I would say, worst team in the conference is still West Virginia. But you still have to go to Morgantown to play those guys, and they don't make it easy even when they're not very good. I don't think Texas is very good either. But a lot of teams roughly as good as Texas are going to go to Morgantown and lose. And I think they'll find a way to still win, I don't know, a handful of games in Morgantown this year against tournament caliber teams. Yeah, you could see a West Virginia type season uh, that is five and 13. I mean, they can win five games at home in the big 12, like Texas tech did last year. They, they might even steal one on the road. Um, every team I think in the big 12 is going to be on the bubble, you know, midway through the big 12 season. I, I don't think anybody's going to get run off the floor. Everybody's going to have some Big 12 wins. Nobody's going to go winless. If there are only two teams right now that are undefeated, uh, who's the best one and two team? Houston, probably. Um, but they could be one and three uh, this week. Who knows? With uh, Texas Tech three and zero, and who else is three and zero? Baylor. Baylor's three and zero. So, if you're power ranking the Big 12, it's hard to not say Baylor's number one. Houston and Kansas still up there, uh, but I think you you might start looking at Texas Tech as you know top five in the Big Twelve. Is that too soon? Have they played some weaker teams? It, it, what what are you looking at for Texas Tech right now, Money? I think top five is definitely fair. I think you've got to have Baylor in there. I think right now Iowa State still kind of feels like they're flying under the radar. I think it might be because Houston lost again, and so maybe. You know, the idea is, oh, maybe Houston's not as good as we thought they were. But Iowa State's defense right now, number two in Ken Palm, and they've got some scores. They are they are playing good enough offensive basketball to be a really, really scary team. And so I think Texas Tech, Baylor, Iowa State, and then maybe Kansas, Houston as your top five, maybe a TCU over Houston, at least for right now. Um, but again, just just an absolute gauntlet just when you think, you know, there couldn't be more parity, more, you know, elite competition night in and night out, it ends up happening once again. And it, it's just a gauntlet. Like you're you're looking at a four game stretch where you're playing like top 30 Kim Palm teams back to back to back to back. It, it's just, it, it's unreal. The grind of this league. And three of those are on the road. Are you ranked for that uh, matchup against Houston? I was going to say, let's do a quick over-under. Uh, 
22nd and a half in the AP poll, higher or lower? If you look at the teams that lost this week, there's going to be a ton of movement. Uh, Texas will drop out. Um, I, I would probably take the over, but I think you will be ranked. I think a, a jump to 21 would be, or 22 would be pretty big from unranked. Uh, but enough teams lost. There's going to be a lot of movement and maybe more teams enter that weren't there uh, than just Texas Tech. If if one or two in the top 25 lost, they're in that 20 to 25 range, maybe a jump up further. But as many teams lost, you're also going to have teams moving back and maybe a more reshuffling than, than anything in the top 25. Does that make sense? I'll call my shot and say 25 on the dot. I like that. I think that's what I think. 23 to 25 probably feels safe. You didn't take any huge jumps in Kim Palm and in net. I actually think you went down in net somehow because Big 12 and just college basketball in general. But I feel like that that late 20s range feels feels pretty safe. And Houston will be when when they when they play sixth, seventh. How far are they dropping from two with two big big 12 losses? I don't know. It feels like they should drop out of the top 10. If I were a voter, I would say everyone, everyone lost. That, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't paid enough attention to kind of know how I would vote on that. I want to see if I can find – somebody tweeted how many teams lost this week. I'm going to go look for that as you uh, guys discuss. I think – Probably around eight or nine. They're they're still first in Kim Palm. Their two losses, even though you know they have lost two now, are still among the fewest in college basketball, especially at this level. I think they lost again to a really respectable Iowa State team, a really respectable TCU team, um, and so I feel like closer to that eight, nine, ten, probably probably about right. You know what's always ranked number one, though? That would be Rahino Barbecue out in Olton, Texas. You can throw out Ken Palm. You can throw out Net. Folks, this is the number one barbecue joint in all of West Texas and, therefore, the entire world. Give them a follow on social at BBQ. Order ahead online, RahinoBBQ.com to make sure your food is there when you arrive. They've also got the mobile food truck going all across West Texas. Give them a shout. Give them a try if you haven't already. If you haven't and you listen to this podcast, I don't know what you're doing. Like we told you a million times to go to Rahino. Everybody who's gone sends us rave reviews, so you're missing out. Tell them the Gambling Gaucho sent you. Give them a fist bump. Shout out to Rahino Barbecue. Our final thoughts on this uh, Texas Tech-Kansas State victory. I will say this. The fan interaction from Kansas State after the game – I love Kansas State. Hey, look, I, I wear this hat with pride, Ema, unless we're playing. But if we were power ranking Big 12 fan bases that the Gauchos like, uh, I think the Kansas State Wildcats have dropped a point or two. Maybe I, I might move up Iowa State to number one now. Um, I know that's Farmageddon blasphemy, but, man, Kansas State, that one guy who would not leave the mentions might have ruined it for the entire fan base. Uh, I mean, that guy was just coping hard with uh, one call. Um, now, 
one of us was going back and forth with him quite a bit, but I will say this. I, I think they might drop that. They're not gonna drop out of the top five, but man, that, that was a rough sequence there uh, from Kurtz and the boys there with the Wildcats. Trending down and you, you hate to see it. I hate to see it. I mean, we love Kansas state. I can't, I can't say that enough. A couple interactions that really like a hey, fans are fans, close game, bad call at the end. There's sort of a baseline of expectation there. But the guy writing us paragraphs about how, like, he will not rest until we lose and then he can rub our noses in it as if we're all under the impression that we're about to go 18 and 0 in Big 12 plays. Like, no, yeah. okay, man, like, if that floats your boat, I'm not going to see it because we muted you. But if you want to yell into the void, by all means. The other one that I thought was funny, and I didn't, I didn't poke the bear on this one, but he was like, uh, you know, saying the refs rigged it. And I was like, well, you know, he, he said it was gift wrapped. I think the refs gift wrapped us a game. And I said, was the 20 run part of the gift wrapping? And he was like, you're doing the same kind of gaslighting the KU fans do after we play them. And it's getting to the point like, okay, if more than one fan base, if you're having the same conversation after a loss with more than one fan base, maybe you're the common denominator and not the opponent. I, I didn't say that to him, but it, it's worth, it's worth thinking about, you know? I also did have a good chuckle, which I needed this weekend. Uh, I didn't know how bad I needed it until this afternoon, but I had a good chuckle uh, at the Kansas Rock Chalk blog that tweeted after the and I'll I'll say it. I'll name them. Uh, they said something about, uh, oh, man, that Lubbock crazy environment. They get all the calls. Hilarious. Uh, ironic. Ironic. Uh, they they can't see two feet in front of their own faces on that one. Maybe it's because it's snowy in Kansas and Missouri, but good grief. Uh, from someone who gets all the calls at Allen Fieldhouse, that is funny. I will say, though, the USA is back. USA is back. I the, wish the uh, ESPN TV mics would do it justice. And, and I'll say this about Iowa State fans, since we're on this topic of how much we like everybody else in the conference. And I'm fine to go on with this as long as y'all want or we can move on. We, we've leaned into the Matt Campbell, a candidate for every job bit, pretty hard. Yeah. 80% of them, I think, handle it well. They think it's a funny joke. Uh, this this poor lady, though, I'm guessing old enough to be like one of our parents. She hits the reply button and says, I can't stand you. <laughs> I was like, that's okay. It's I would be annoyed, too, if I were you. Yeah. But we still love Cyclone Nation. Can I explain the joke there? Sure. He's never left. He's been a candidate for 100 jobs and has never left. That's the joke. He's not going to leave. I think that's what people miss. We're not making fun of Matt Campbell. We're making fun of the media tying him to yes. a million jobs and him never going anywhere. I always want to hit him with the, the that's the joke meme from The Simpsons, the stand-up comedian. Uh, well, it's the joke. Well, and there are always – like there are more serious job openings. Like when Michigan state came open, I was like, you know, that would actually be a good fit. He would get to go to the power two. He's a Midwest guy. Like that might be the kind of job he's waiting for. But then you post him in like Dallas Cowboys garb and people are like, that will never happen. It's like, I know it's a joke. <laughs> What's funny is that was a hilarious bit for Chris Beard too. Uh, after he left for Texas, every single job opening, no matter what it was, Oh, Chris Beard to the Hornets, Chris Beard, to the Pelicans, Chris Beard, to wherever else. Now, that one died out. Uh, 
I got kind of tired of the Chris Beard bit, but this one will never die. I think Matt Campbell will be tied to every job from from now on. Well, uh, that's what John Kurt said. He was like, I kind of hope he never leaves at this point, yeah. just so this bit can go on forever. But o- overall, I think Cyclone fans handled that bit really well. Um, and you know, West Virginia, we developed a soft spot for them last March Madness. There was this thing out there when they lost an ugly game that they should have won against Maryland. That there was this gauchos curse and i was like oh yeah right and then huggy goes off the deep end and they're terrible and now i'm kind of worried we might have jinxed him forever you know i'd hate that i would hate to be a part i have a hand in jinxing the the mountaineers i, I would well, hate that. you know I, re- I retract that because i said garrett green was going to be a dude in the offseason and they won nine games and he's one of the better returning quarterbacks in this league so i'm calling off the gauchos curse i'm saying that's not real uh money do you have any final thoughts on the basketball game specifically, or the fan bases, uh, because we have some college football to talk about as well tonight. Yeah, I think Kansas State is really close to being a a good basketball team in this league. I I really do think it's going to come down to if they can protect the basketball, which I think is going to be an uphill battle with their guards, but it's going to have to happen if they want to win Big 12 basketball games. And then they've just got to shoot the ball at a more consistent level. It's been a massive, massive crutch for them this season. But, I mean, Tyler Perry kind of gave you a glimpse of their ceiling in the midst of that 20-0 run. Like, when this team is making shots, they're really, really, really dangerous. And it feels like they may be a team that kind of hangs around with one of the teams in the conference that's really trying to, you know, just kind of make the game a defensive battle, like maybe like a TCU or even an Iowa state who has a good defense, but maybe not the caliber of a shooting team as Kansas state. Those feel like they might be sneaky games for them, but really do think it's just about cleaning up their guard play. I think they've got to take a lot better care of the basketball, whether that's just getting better quality shots or just not turning the ball over. But They've got two good guards. They've just got to clean it up and, and play smarter basketball. But when they do, they're going to be a they're going to be a tough out for anybody in this conference. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think if you kind of shoved some square pegs into round holes here, um, or however that phrase goes, and you said there was three tiers in the Big Twelve, four, five, five, uh, they would be in that second tier with Texas Tech just on the bottom end of it. I, I think Kansas State, Iowa State. Those kind of teams are right there punching up at the top four teams. Um, now, is Houston still one of those top four teams? Is there some roof from movement there? Um, Kansas, obviously a top four team, but has struggled in two games. Probably should have been 0-2 to start the Big 12 play uh, after that TCU game. And then TCU, uh, they're probably four right now, but punching up at three or two now, I think. So, We'll keep trying to do it. We'll keep trying to power rank this uh, Big 12 slate. Maybe we'll do it a little more crisply after we get a couple of weeks in. But, look, the Big 12 is a gauntlet. I still think Texas Tech is going to go, you know, 10-8, and 11-7, and 7, and you're 3-0. and 0. So there's some movement here and room for a, a couple of losses in a row as you go. Yeah, the Frogs, yeah. had they not gotten jobbed at the Fog, we'd be talking about them as, you know, legitimate Big 12 title contenders. A couple final thoughts on the Kansas State game. I think the way the game played out and the final sequence at the end lent itself to some fans being upset. But you can imagine how emotional it was in that locker room. You've got a 
coach in Jerome Tang, who very clearly wanted to come to Lubbock last offseason. And we found our guy, Grant McCaslin, and said, no, thank you, Jerome Tang. And you've got a guy like Tyler Perry. And we said, nope, we'd rather roll with Joe Toussaint and Pop Isaacs. They had a shot. This was their Super Bowl potential revenge game for a couple of guys that, you know, just weren't going to cut the mustard in Lubbock. And they were, they were this close to proving us wrong. But I think in the end, we got the right head coach and the right point guard. So, um, But the game itself unfolded about as badly as it could in many respects for Texas Tech. I think five of 25 from three. I, I don't want to miss speaker. I think Toussaint and Isaacs were something like six for 24 combined. 24 shots. I think we only put up 50-something in the game. So they had almost half our shots, and they were shooting really poorly. Um, you don't, you never want to put this out there and have fate prove you wrong, but it's hard to imagine us kind of shooting a lot worse than that. Now, you're also not going to hold your opponent to 59 a lot of nights. But I've talked about this – Talked about this, like, oh, yeah, there's going to be some game where you shoot 20% and get blown out. And this game, you shoot 20% from three and find a way to win. And I'm also not sure how to view the that seven-minute stretch where they go 20 to nothing on you. Like, do you say, oh, well, 33 minutes out of 40, we outplayed them by 21, and you hang your hat on that? Or do you is that so worrisome that a seven-minute run turned out that terribly for you i don't know probably a little bit of reason on both sides of that we have a comment i thought he said no to us i mean surely not right we could have we could have taken drum tank if we wanted to uh we just look has grant mccasland ever lost in the elite eights of the ncaa tournament no he has not how many nit titles does jerome tang have or cbi titles so we got our guy um, I think that's my final thoughts that the guards like Chance McMillan kind of an off game from outside. Well, he just found a way to get it done. And it, it was, it was hideous when the game ended. I turned to my wife. I was like, I don't know how we won that game, but you know, you, you come out on the short end of so many of those in big 12 play and you think, Oh God, like two of those going the other way. And like, we're a tournament team instead of playing in the NIT or whatever, this one, it went your way. And you alluded to it going three and zero gives you some margin for error um, going forward. Cause you're going to need it like these next four, I would say if you can go one and three, if you can go two and two, that'd be like an absolute coup one and three, you're still in good shape, but yeah, there's going to be stretches in big 12 play where it's not pretty. And you're going to look back and go, thank goodness we started three and zero instead of one and two or something. Yeah. So I, mean, I think that's my final thought on the game. Even I, Look, I, I hate that I'm going back to this again, but even in 2019, uh, you were 4-0, and then you were 500 after eight games of Big 12 play. So, I mean, it's going to happen. There, there are going to be stretches in this Big 12 season where you have to make uh, comebacks, not only in game, like you did this weekend, but after stretches of losses. Um, hopefully, they're on the road, and you're not losing games at home, but you're going to lose probably one or two at home as well. All right. Uh, I do want to say one more thing about the game before we move on. Uh, at no point did I think Texas Tech would win that game after that 20-point run, uh, even when Tyler Perry missed that shot because the clock operator did not start the clock. You're at home. Start the clock. I am going to venture a guess that it was not operator error because 
the clock screwed up during the timeout. You remember that? The seven seconds ran off during the timeout. Yeah. So I think the operator was probably doing all he or she could, and the system itself was screwed up. But I will say this. I'll acknowledge we got a little lucky that game. I think we were also tougher and earned the win, but we also got lucky. Kind of a cool shot to see the final moments, like the team celebrating after that last stop and seeing 7.7 on the game clock and 7 on the shot clock. Triple sevens, usually a sign of good luck, and so we needed it. So shout out to the clock operator for keeping the triple sevens up during that last sequence because we, we could use it. Shout out. I, I was very happy uh, when the officials went and counted to eight and waved it off because if you had an inbound, you probably lose. I mean, it just was that kind of game. I, I was fully prepped for them to go, oh, we're just going to redo that whole sequence, 7.7. Yeah. Like, you yeah. get to inbound it again. And I was like, we're going to lose on some absolute bull crap right now. Yeah. And then they just said game over. I was like, okay. I didn't yeah. see y'all count it off. I don't know if eight seconds went off, but I'll take it. Uh, also, you know, watching at home on the television, uh, thoughts on King King McClure. I think he does a, a pretty good job. There were times in that game where I'm frustrated with him and the, the play-by-play guy. But overall, shout out to King McClure. I think he does a good job with Big 12 games. Played at Baylor, knows the league, has been there. Him and Fran do a ton of Big 12 games. Um, I think they're probably the two best in, in the Big 12. I know a lot of people have negative thoughts on Fran as well. Uh, me and Fran have our own history. Um, he owes me a pizza, but... We'll, we'll move on from that. I, that's one of Ryan Hyatt's favorite bits. Yeah, I think he was also the right guy for the game because it was two of his former assistant coaches. And so you said, like, he can speak to all these different Big 12 road environments because he's played in all of them. But then having also played under both Tang and McCasland was, I think, offered some pretty unique perspective there. So I enjoyed having him on the call. All right. Since we last recorded – um. Uh, we can move on from basketball, yes? Are you two ready for that? All right, since we last recorded, uh, Kalen DeBoer goes to Alabama. I believe we recorded after Saban left, yes? Did we get to talk about that? I think so. Uh, so Saban leaves, retires. DeBoer to Alabama. Um, I think he was their second or third choice. I do believe that Dan Lanning was choice number one. Um, I think they tried to get Sark. And then they land on DeBoer. Good hire, in my opinion. Uh, after that, I don't know if we said it on this show. I certainly said it on the Rob Bro show, and uh, we said it in the Discord, especially with uh, Sheer talking about it on Twitter. Jetfish was the obvious. Uh, some things have come out in the last couple hours, though. Arizona not happy uh, with how that went down. Let's talk about it because Arizona now a Big 12 football team. Um, Arizona is poor could not counter at all with washington they are a poverty school uh, the school could not even get it in their mind that they need to keep jed fish jed fish leaves has a three minute team meeting with his team it took me longer to read his going away post than it did for him to tell his team he was leaving uh does fafita follow him to Arizona or to Washington, does they the leading receiver there who is all in with Fafita, or do they feel burned and uh, stick it out with with uh, the new Arizona coach? And then my last question here, I'm going to ask you 16 questions and turn it over to you two guys. 
Um, who is the next coach at Arizona? And why is it Matt Wells? Money? It's a m messy situation. On top of everything, the UW AD, uh, there, there's a comment joking about the meeting at a McDonald's. No, they actually met at his house, which is clearly in Tucson still, signed the contract in his very Arizona-looking house. And then oh the Washington AD posted it on Twitter. And you can see at the beginning of the video, there's still like an Arizona football yard sign that's up. The AD rings the doorbell, walks in, they sign a contract. That, I mean, I, I would be steaming. Uh, I know it's a rough, rough, rough way to go and to lose a coach um, to kind of have it feel like the rug's been pulled out from under you. But I, I have no idea where Arizona goes from here on top of all the momentum that they had going for them last year. But what what a roller coaster of a of a way to make that exit that's that's for sure you know when it comes to cliff kingsbury cliff kingsbury's agent fool me 12 times shame on me but does he still own real estate in the tucson ish area and does he actually want to get back into college coaching probably not like everything in my mind tells me no but I think like if he was if he was interested and his agent reached out to Arizona and said like hey he wants back he'll recruit this time he'll try I don't know like I've heard crazier things I think their offensive coordinator could pull a Mark Adams and say I'm not going with you to UW um, Brendan Carroll so I don't know I feel like Arizona is the type of job to go hire. Uh, a coordinator from somewhere. I don't. I don't think they're in a position monetarily to go steal a head coach, unless they do steal a head coach from a Group of Five program. I don't think you're going to have uh, the, you know, the the Lance Leipold, Matt Campbell. I know you tweeted that, but I, I don't think any of those guys leave a Big Twelve team to go to another Big Twelve team. Um, but I will say this on Cliff Kingsbury's behalf. College football is a different world than when he was here five years ago. Um, you don't have to be the head coach and be the lead recruiter anymore. And Texas Tech's recruiting prowess when Cliff Kingsbury was in Lubbock was at the bottom of the Big 12. The infrastructure sucked. They had one recruiting guy in the office. He can go hire a GM like James Blanchard and say, hey, you are the recruiter. Hire you a six-person recruiting staff. Now, maybe Arizona doesn't have that budget, so Arizona's not a good fit for Cliff Kingsbury, but you live in a world of college football now where you don't have to recruit like you used to. Uh, Cliff could pull a Dion and just go sign a bunch of guys in the transfer portal who want to play for his offense, and you don't have to be a great high school recruiter anymore. And they wouldn't really have to pay him because the Cardinals would be – yeah. Yeah, maybe he likes Arizona. I, I don't know that Cliff is in the mix here, yeah, but I do think that, that Cliff up. makes more college sense today than he did five, six years ago when he was at Texas Tech. Um, what was that, 2018 to 2024? I think that's a big enough a gap in college football where you don't have to recruit. And, and again, to be a head coach, like Joey McGuire is obviously involved in recruiting. But this recruiting – GM or whatever else uh, world that we live in, you can just say, hey, you make all the offers. I'll close if I need to. 
but you are the recruiters and I'm going to go watch film and figure it out from there. Yeah, I was just making that up with Cliff. Uh, I saw John Wilner, who's obviously pretty plugged in out there, float the San Jose State head coach. I don't think – I don't know if I would hire this guy. I would probably interview Air, For- Air Force's head coach. The military academy guys almost never get a power five look, but they've been really good. I don't know. I think you always kind of start with somebody semi-regional. And then I, I threw this in the Discord. I, I don't think he would be a candidate, but – it would kind of make sense if Tim DeRuiter got a call. He He's spent most of his career in what is now the combined Pac-12, Big 12 footprint. I think he started at Air Force. He's been at Fresno. He's been at uh, Cal. He's been at Oregon. He's now been at Texas Tech, Texas A&M. I think a guy who could step into Arizona and have familiarity with the footprints they typically recruit, which I think is mostly California, Arizona, and Texas – Probably not a, a sexy hire if you're Arizona, and I don't know if he wants to be a head coach again, but I think if they are looking for a, an existing Power 5 coordinator that makes some regional sense, I could th- I think they could do a lot worse than Tim DeRuiter. Yeah, and my question with these new Big 12 teams, uh, you had Colorado and Nebraska in the Big 12, right, and they had Texas pipelines. Colorado leaves, Nebraska leaves, they lose their Texas pipelines. Colorado coming back. Now, he recruits nationally, Coach Prime, so I don't know how much it matters. Um, especially when he's not recruiting high school at all. But when you look at Arizona and Arizona State, how much of a Texas tie-in do they want? Do they go after a guy who has Texas ties because they want to start looking more east and recruiting rather than west? It's weird to say that with Texas, but uh, it, it could be. And maybe they maybe they continue and go to a Fresno State coach or a San Diego State coach or – the UNLV offensive coordinator who got some looks. Maybe that's what they take a stab at, but I don't know. And again, with Arizona's money troubles, just as a school, uh, that they didn't try to keep Jed Fish, it seems like, and just said, oh, Washington's after him, you know, cut our losses. Uh, I just don't see how Arizona goes and gets a, a big name higher. I do like that question from Mark, if you want to talk about that, Kyle. Yeah, I do want to talk about that. I'm curious y'all's thoughts. I'm, I'm pretty opinionated on this. But Mark said, is the Big 12 going to be a coach stepping stone for the Big 10 and SEC? My thought on that is not any more than it already was. And what I mean by that is the thing about the names that were floated for this Washington job. It was Lance Leipold at Kansas, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, and Jed Fish at Arizona. Those were kind of the four main ones that we knew of. Even in the old Power 5 dynamic, when I would say the Pac-12 was equal with the Big 12, perception-wise and all that, Washington and programs like Washington, like let's say Oregon and Penn State, Wisconsin, like programs kind of in that same tier or threshold, they can already go hire Iowa State and Arizona's coach if they want to, assuming the other party is interested. So if this Power 2 thing had never happened – and Jed Fish had the same success he had at Arizona, he can leave within the same conference and still go to Washington within the Pac-12. I think I'll only be concerned about that dynamic when, like, the South Carolinas of the world and the Purdue's of the world, like these mid to lower half Power 2 schools, if they can come take away, like, a Big 12 championship caliber coach like a Chris Kleiman, that would concern me. You'd be like, okay, the arguably the best coach in our conference – signing up to go be 10th place in their conference. 
But by all accounts, guys like Leipold and Kleiman and Campbell have turned down Michigan State, Washington-type jobs multiple times. The Blue Bloods are always going to be able to poach a school like that. Like if, if Michigan comes open and they want Matt Campbell, he's probably going to go for a job like that. But he's proven time and time again he won't go for a Michigan State kind of job. So, again, if it gets to the point where – I also don't want to overstate Jed Fish's success at Arizona. He certainly had to go in the right direction, but they finished this year as Alamo Bowl champions. If he was back-to-back, you know, Pac-12 champs and he left for Vanderbilt, then it'd be a little bit worrying. But he's upgrading programs, period, no matter what conference Washington or Arizona are in. So I don't view this as a symptom of that dynamic coming to fruition. And again, even if climate or Leipold leave for a bigger and better program, they probably would have even before this power two dynamic ever emerged. Like Texas has stolen your coach twice, once in the Southwest conference when it was David McWilliams in football. And once when we were all still in the big 12 in basketball, when they took Chris Beard, we can talk about like whether that was a wise move for Chris Beard or not, but a program like Texas can very often poach from a program like Texas tech if they want to. And so I, I, it, I don't see that changing just because they're consolidating in the same conference with each other. It'll only concern me if a program I view as like roughly on par starts taking really good coaches from the Big 12. Yeah, and I, I talk about this all the time when we start talking about TV money and, and athletic budgets. On the field, a certain amount of money is a certain amount of money. Um, just because you have a bunch of money doesn't mean Rutgers is going to be better than Texas Tech in football. Uh, athletic budgets – be damned, TV money be damned. Rutgers is going to be Rutgers. Texas Tech is going to be Texas Tech. But uh, Rutgers and Northwestern and Vanderbilt and Mississippi State are now going to have the money to maybe throw at a head coach. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to pay or want to pay six, seven million dollars just to steal a Joey McGuire or a Chris Kleiman. Um, Washington, Michigan, let's say Penn State, maybe, uh, Alabama, LSU, those schools have always been able to and will always be able to to take your coach if they want to. Not because they have more money in the power two, but because for the history of football, they've been the premier programs. If Notre Dame came open tomorrow and called Matt Campbell first, Matt Campbell would go to Notre Dame. I think. And that's been a job he's been tied to in the past. Um, but I, I think that's just the the heritage, not the money, in my opinion. You know, I've, I've flip-flopped on John Wilner a couple times. When he broke the news of USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, I was like, okay, this guy's plugged in. He had it first. He's legit. And then he kind of does the Canzano act, which is being intentionally condescending. Then he came on our podcast, and I was like, okay, this guy's an okay dude. And then today he had an intentionally condescending tweet about forget how he worded it, but basically like this was a no brainer for Jed Fish. Why in the world would you stay in the Big 12 when you could go to Washington? It's like, well, the same reason Lance Leipold would stay in the Big 12 instead of go to Washington. And based on all the reporting out there, they wanted Leipold more than they wanted Fish. And sure, Washington can pay more than Kansas or Arizona. But a guy like Leipold and John Wilner made this point on our podcast. He was like, look at the path to the playoff, guys. You can be Washington in the new Big Ten and scratch and claw for sixth place. 
or you can be Kansas, Kansas football, like three years removed from being the doormat of the sport and be one of the front runners to get the auto bid from the Big 12. Not everybody wants necessarily the most prestigious job. When you have a pretty clear path to the playoff in the new Big 12 and the new playoff format, like they're giving Leipold a new stadium, he could probably snap his fingers and get whatever he wants at Kansas, or he can go to UW, try to follow a guy who just made the natty there and probably get canned in three years when they don't win the Big 10. Like, I'm not saying either one is right or wrong and people have different aspirations and goals for their careers. But this idea, like, why would anybody stay here when they could go there? It's like, I mean, it's not that far-fetched in my mind. Dabo could probably go to the SEC if he wanted to, but he's built something at Clemson. He would rather stay there. I don't know if he could have gotten the Alabama job. It's like, yeah, you can go be Mark Stoops at Kentucky and never win a damn thing, and they'll pay you handsomely for it, and you'll have job security. Or you can be a Coach Kleiman in the Big 12, win your conference, go to the playoff, play in a New Year's Six-type bowl, maybe for a little less money, but honestly, they can probably afford to pay up to a certain amount. I mean, if somebody wanted to come money whip climbing for $15 million a year, sure, I bet Kansas State probably couldn't match that. But, like, they, I'm sure they would pay him $8 million, $9 million if they had to. So this idea that, like, there's absolutely no reason to stay at any of these schools if you're wanted by a power two is nonsense to me. Again, if the top blue bloods want you, sure, go. But – like, hey, I can compete for playoffs at Kansas State or I can go get my ass kicked at Michigan State. To me, it's it's worth considering. Yeah, and I, I again, you you if you would have told me Leipold and Fish were the top two candidates, and I thought they were on Friday, uh, it is obvious that Fish was the answer. Fish has never been anywhere more than two years. You look at his uh, Wikipedia page and his resume, it's NFL team one year, college team two years, NFL team two years, college team one year, back to the NFL, back to college, back to the NFL, back to the NFL, uh, one year, two years, one year, two years. He's moving around. He wants to be at the next place. And Lance Leipold had, uh, grinded, and then he grinded at Buffalo, and now he's grinding at Kansas. It just seems like he's the kind of guy that wants to stay in one place. Um, is the Big 12 going to be a stepping stone? Sure. But isn't the SEC, the bottom half of the SEC, a stepping stone for the top half? Didn't Dan Mullen, the best coach in Mississippi State history, leave for a job in the SEC because it was the top half of the bit of the SEC? Like, that's just how it goes. Yeah, if Ohio State ever wants Indiana's head coach, they're going to have him. Yeah. Yeah. So if Washington ever wants Arizona's coach, they're going to have him. I mean, the short answer to Mark is yes. Yes, the Big 12 is going to be a stepping stone, uh, but only in jobs that make sense. Rutgers is not going to come poach climbing just because they have money. It has to make sense. And I don't think that would make sense. Um, and, and, do you want to throw out a guess for Arizona? Have you seen a name besides the San Diego State Head Coach money? Do you have a thought here of, of who you would get if you were Arizona? Is there a name just pops off the top of your head? I have no clue, actually. <laughs> me neither. It, it just it's, makes no sense to me. I, I have no idea. It's a strange job and a strange place in the program. Like they're either, they're still kind of in the balance of like, what's, what's going to happen with this roster. Cause this is either going to be like a really enticing opening of saying like, Hey, 
you know, I could go into the big, like if somebody is thinking, okay, I'm going to use the big 12 as a stepping stone. Maybe I inherit this roster. You know, we compete at the top of the new big 12 for two years. And then I'm out to, you know, the big 10 or the sec. But I think a lot comes down to what happens with that roster over this window where obviously decisions are made and changes can be made. But yeah, I, I have no clue. And now more than ever, you have to move fast if you're Arizona or you're going to lose your roster. Now, they have a little bit of wiggle room because if you're not a grad transfer, you can't enter the portal to the end of the spring right now, um, into the spring football season. But uh, you got to move. Uh, you can't just be waiting around for two weeks to make this hire like you could if you did it at the end of the year. Um, this This needs to be done this week. So it has to be done swiftly. Um, and, and who that is, I don't know. Maybe it is just the San Diego head, San Diego State head coach or whoever you said earlier, Kyle, that's been floated. But uh, it does need to happen fast. And this is a big, big hire. Um, they nailed it with Jed Fish, but their previous couple were not good. Uh, you did also say a name on Twitter, Kyle, uh, Rich Rodriguez. He, he Maybe it's time. Uh, maybe it's bring time him to bring him back in the fold. He's been good at Jacksonville State, has kind of proven himself again that he is a good coach in college football. Maybe uh, bring him back. Yeah, probably not given the circumstances under which he left the Arizona job. I think he was – I think there was someone with, like, the secretary there. I don't remember exactly, so I don't want to say. I can't ever um, remember which rods – was it West Virginia to Michigan? To Arizona, or was it West Virginia, Arizona, Michigan? West West Virginia, Michigan, Arizona. He almost – so actually funny, full circle, he almost went to Alabama one year earlier. His wife didn't like Tuscaloosa, so they said, no, we're going to say West Virginia, and then they hired a guy named Nick Saban instead. So this whole domino of Kalen DeBoer going to Bama, Jed Fish going to Washington, probably doesn't happen if Rich Rod takes that Alabama job. But his wife didn't like Tuscaloosa. Um, where were we? Oh yeah. I think, I think they'll just hire their offensive coordinator. If I had to pick a favorite, I think they'll go chalk there. Um, if you are a power five head coach listening to this and you're changing jobs, you want somebody to review your contract. You're going to need an attorney to look at that document. That's what scared me about the jet fish video. They're just showing up to his house with papers and he signed it. Like who knows what's in that thing? Surely he didn't hire Barnett Howard and Williams, but he should have because Barnett Howard and Williams is the best law firm in the state of Texas, located in Fort Worth, but they handle cases all across the Lone Star State. You can check them out. If you want to learn a little bit more about the people at Barnett Howard and Williams and their expertise, their knowledge of the issues, go to our YouTube channel. And we have a 20 minute conversation with Luke Williams on the uh, Title IX situation. And uh, they specialize in that in criminal defense, catastrophic injury. You name it, they can do it. BHWLawFirm.com if you want to learn more. My last thought on this is that if we're we're here in the offseason now and it's time to drink some Kool-Aid, in no particular order, three of the front runners for the Big 12 next year are going to be Kansas, Kansas State, and Utah. None of them are on Texas Tech's schedule next year. Arizona was up there as well until this happened. We'll see how much they lose in the portal I could if they do hire the offensive coordinator and their quarterback and everybody stays, I could see them still kind of making noise. But let's assume this knocks them down a peg. Uh, that's one of your road games next year. 
that game could become more winnable. And then Colorado, I think, will also be floated up there. You get them at home. Am I crazy for thinking you've got a pretty favorable schedule the way things look right now? No, I don't think you're crazy. I, I, uh, I, I want to believe, Kyle, I do. I, I think maybe if we talk about the Dallas Cowboys here in a second, we can talk about expectations and buying in and how that hurts me when I do it as a sports fan. But uh, I'm not ready to buy in like uh, it seems like everyone else is, especially in the Discord and on this podcast with you, Kyle. But uh, I, I do think your schedule is more favorable than most. I thought you had a pretty favorable schedule this year, and it didn't really turn out that way, uh, losing week one to Wyoming. So uh, we'll see. I think you did finish strong in the Big 12. I think you have an expectation set by Joey McGuire that you're going to win Big 12 games. And to avoid Kansas State, who absolutely murders you every year in football, uh, is a good thing in my opinion, yes. I don't know if I'm a believer in Oklahoma State, but let's lump them in with the other five I just rattled off to round out the top six. And let's exclude Texas Tech from that for now. Kansas, Kansas State, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Oklahoma State. Three of them you don't play. One of them you get in Lubbock. So four of the top six teams you either don't play or you get them at home. Yeah. Uh, Colorado and Lubbock. Yeah, if Oklahoma State is fraudulent or Arizona just kind of falls off after this coaching change, like you might have one big road game against Oklahoma State and then just you have to hold serve at home to earn your way to the Big 12 championship game. I, I can live in that world, and I know people are burned from the expectations this year. I don't think I expected to make the Big 12 championship game this past year, and I think we could pull the tape, and I thought we would be better than we were, but I wasn't expecting that. This year, I'm not so sure. I think I think we're actually underrated, which which could be good based on how the sky high expectations worked out for you this past off season. But I think we could be a combination of underrated and have a favorable schedule. And I I want to live in that world. Money, what are your thoughts on the schedule? Do you think uh, Texas Tech has a, a ride to run here? Well, uh, every every morning I wake up, I look in the mirror, and I say, uh, "Go one and zero today." That's kind of how I live my life. So uh going to take it one week at a time. But I do think the way it sets up is nice. I think avoiding Kansas State is obviously huge, especially with the damage they've done the last couple of years. Um, but a lot of, you know, changing scenarios, even this deep in the offseason, is pretty crazy. And I think if you've established your roster and your situation to be competitive, whether that's, you know, top three competitive, top five competitive i think you're you're in the conversation of being a competitive team and so i think you've done the work at this juncture to you know address some issues process some of your roster pieces upgrade specific positions um but i still think it comes down to winning week by week or else you end up with a with an 0-1 start we have a question from Chris here. Do they have ex exceptions for entering the portal, like losing a head coach? I think the rule is the standard portal dates are tossed out the window. If your head coach leaves, you get 30 days to enter if you have a coaching change. So, yes. So, Arizona players, I guess the clock would start today. They've got 30 days to hit the portal if they want to. Um, one more thing before we move on. I don't know if we want to talk any NFL or anything, but 
If you missed our midweek episode on the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football feed, that's because it wasn't there. We've moved one episode per week to our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash gambling gouges. It's $5 a month to join. You now get one podcast a week, some written content, access to a library of interviews we've conducted in the past, access to uh, some written content, the Discord server, and a portion of all proceeds go to the Matador Club. So we hope you will join us there. We've had uh, several new additions, newcomers this past week when we announced that. If you if you subscribe to the Patreon and aren't in the Discord yet but would like to be, just message us either on Patreon or Twitter and we'll get you added. It's a good time. And you get to read Ryan's thoughts right after every Big 12 win, which are quite a treat, if I do say so myself. Uh, I do want to do – now, we're going to do the bulk of the mailbag in those midweek episodes, but there are a few pertinent questions in the mailbag I want to get rid of this week uh, on a Sunday before because they'll be stale by uh, Wednesday or Thursday whenever we record. I do believe Houston is Wednesday, so maybe we do a late night after post game or that Thursday night. We'll have to see. Uh, but as far as the Matador Transit mailbag goes, start bench process cut these Cowboys 88s. Uh, Drew Pearson, Michael Irvin, Des Bryant, C.D. Lamb. Any thoughts here? I'll start Irvin, bench Pearson, process Lamb, cut. Des. the last one? Des. Ooh. Des, the all-time leader, I believe. In some statistical categories, Drew Pearson finally in the Hall of Fame, Michael Irvin, a Hall of Famer. C.D. Lamb, statistically the best season ever this year for a Dallas Cowboys wide receiver. Yeah, I'll still cut Dez. Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm caught in the moment of what modern football is like, but those slow, big-body receivers like Dez don't cut it anymore. Yeah. C.D. Lamb is the kind of guy you want in today's game. Yeah. So that, that's recency bias, but I'll, I'll stick to it. Money, any, any additional thoughts there? I think I'll go that order. Um, maybe flip. Des and CD, but I'm probably just a little sour from earlier. Uh, I would also cut Des. I uh, big Des fan, but he's a little bit annoying post career. I I think um, is what it is. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's talk about this before the Houston game because it might not be as pertinent after the Houston game. Do you think now is a good time to start talking to our kids about the possibility of a Texas Tech National Championship? No. I, I'm really I'm really excited at the progress we've made even within one season, and it looks like McCaslin's off to a great start. Um, but not quite yet. I, if we beat Houston on the road, then then yeah, I'll I'll shove the chips in the middle of the table there. But I, I still think we have some deficiencies. I, I think we're a tournament team, which is more than I could say before the season started. So, yes, it is too early. Yeah. Okay. Are you, uh, are you deep 16, sweet 16, elite eight run uh, on the table here? Money? You think we need I still to... think sweet 16 is the okay. ceiling. I, okay. I still think that a couple of wins under your belt is probably still the ceiling. I mean, Mark Adams – inherited a, a gem of a roster, got a good player in Bryson Williams out of the portal and took that team to the Sweet 16. And we were enraged that he did not win Coach of the Year. Like McCaslin taking a brand new Texas Tech team that 
has had just a slate of issues the past few seasons to a national championship would quite literally be one of the best coaching jobs in Big 12 basketball history. Yeah, it took Scott Drew uh, eight or nine years to get there at, at Baylor. Um, Bill Self took him a while to get to the top of the mountain. Uh, it would certainly be one of the craziest things of all time for uh, McCaslin. I, I know Beard did it in year three. So that would be crazy. A question primarily for Rob. Does the Rangers win help with tonight's results? Uh, tonight's results being the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, I separate my baseball fandom with my football fandom. Uh, I gave myself a couple of weeks to enjoy that Texas Rangers World Series. Now we're on to the offseason. Uh, and I will forever be disappointed with my Dallas Cowboys. I was alive for three Super Bowls. That doesn't mean I not uh, I got to enjoy them. I've watched the 92 and 93 Super Bowls a billion times on VHS. I remember watching the 96 one in person. I do have real memories from that one or 95, whatever it was. 96, it was the year, but 95 season. Uh, but since then, with a cast of carriers, characters at head coach, uh, like Chan Gailey and Wade Phillips and Jason Garrett, who I tried to fire for this final six seasons as a Dallas Cowboys head coach, to Mike McCarthy being the next head coach, I was never in on Mike McCarthy. He's won 12 games, three straight seasons, has two NFC East championships, and he's still a bum in my eyes. He's got no culture. He looks like Charlie Weiss on the sideline, minus the snot running down his face. He is a bum. He has no culture. They don't have a will to win. They showed that today. They quit. They won 16 straight at the Dallas Cowboys Jerry World and couldn't get the Packers off the field. Well, Jordan Love was the best quarterback in football for the final eight weeks. I don't care. He's a rookie. And he torched you. You bums. The Dallas Cowboys didn't employ a linebacker the final 10 weeks of the season. They were playing safeties at linebacker and got cooked in the run over and over. They should have lost to the Lions last week or whenever it was, two weeks ago. The Dallas Cowboys should fire Mike McCarthy immediately. They should fire Dan Quinn. He's been looking for other jobs for two straight seasons. And they should hire someone who will implement a culture outside of Jerry Jones. The Dallas Cowboys will forever be bums until they fire a head coach with a pulse. Now, people talk to me about Jerry Jones all the time. Now, Jerry Jones, it's Jerry Jones's fault. Uh, as long as Jerry Jones is alive, you're going to still be the Dallas Cowboys. I have news for all the people who blame Jerry Jones. This roster is good enough to win in the NFL. If you blame the GM, Jerry Jones, that Jerry Jones should fire the GM, you would love to have this roster if you're anyone else in the NFL besides maybe the 49ers, the Eagles who have a great roster, the Lions who have built something. Uh, if you're Arizona, if you're the Vikings in the NFC, you want this roster. It's really good. Except for the fact that when the Wolf went down, you didn't replace him. In the midseason, you didn't go and make any trades midseason. Aaron Donald, after you beat the Rams, told Jerry Jones, hey, come get me. I'm available. The Rams suck. Now the Rams are in the playoffs. 
and you've already been beat. So no, the Texas Rangers winning did not do anything for me with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we'll talk about it more, I guess, tomorrow on Overreaction Monday with Rob Rocho. But it, it just, to me, is over and over again, especially against the Green Bay Packers, uh, a moot point here. The Packers own the Cowboys in the playoffs. They own Mike McCarthy since he left Green Bay. And, and Mike McCarthy won one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, who's a top 10 quarterback of all time. So, I don't know. Those are a couple of my thoughts there. No, it didn't help. If anything, it makes it worse in my eyes. Because yeah. we've just been looking. I'm, and I'll preface this by saying I'm like the most casual baseball fan there is. But for the last couple of years, or like really the last decade with the Rangers, it's just been show us a pulse, show us promise. You come into this year, you spend a lot on big arms. You end up having injuries. Your relief pitching is an absolute mess. Marcus Simeon disappears in the postseason, and that team played gritty. They played above their talent level. They played above their pay grade, and they found a way to win. With this Cowboys team and with a lot of other teams the last couple of years, it's been live up to the expectations. Live up to the things that you're supposed to do. There's no bar that you're supposed to jump over. Just go and do the things that you're supposed to do. And consistently, they not only fail to reach it when it matters most, but they fall on their face in the most embarrassing fashion, allowing the first ever seven seed to advance in the first round of the playoffs and doing so fully in control. I don't care what that scoreboard said. That was a beatdown, an all-out beatdown. And they did their best to kind of pat the score at the end, but that was that was a beatdown and an embarrassment. Some of my earliest memories of watching the game of football, starting to learn the game of football was in the late nineties, watching with my dad, my grandfather, my uncles were all big Dallas Cowboys fans. And there was still got there was still Emmett Smith, Aikman, Irvin, Moose, but they were on the decline. And like at that point, that you know, they would always joke about how many concussions Aikman had. And but but I believed the the marketing materials, especially when you're that young and that impressionable. Like this is America's team. And they take the roof off the building so that God can watch them play. And they're like, oh, you know, awesome. You know, I live in Texas where the Dallas Cowboys play. And then as I get a little bit older and I keep tuning in, it's like the Chad Hutchinson and the Quincy Carter and like they stunk. And it was like jarring to me. At young. I was like, I thought we were the Dallas Cowboys and we're America's team. We're God's team. How are we this bad? And that has unfortunately persisted for like 20 years now. Now, they've had some good teams in the regular season. They've, I think, won 12 games in the regular season each of the last three years. And I thought they were finally getting over some of the recent ailments. Like, they were stuck with Zeke. They spent a top-five pick on a running back. They extended him. I thought that was a bad move. I think that's a bad move for any franchise. But they had finally gotten it. It's like, we're elite at edge rusher. We're elite at uh, – we've got CeeDee Lamb, elite receiver, really good quarterback play, elite corner. And I was like, okay, like, they're – they're good at all the right positions. They've always had a good O-line the last five or ten years. And I, I went to my very first Cowboys game this year. They played the Giants, who I know they stunk. They were 17-point favorites, but they covered that handily. And it was just – it was humming like a well-oiled machine. I thought, okay, this is the year that – I think the 49ers are tough, but I was like, I think they'll get to the NFC title game. And, you know, best man wins between them and the Niners. So kind of shocking. And the Packers – did have a lot of momentum late in the season. 
I, I'm not I'm primarily a Vikings fan, not a Cowboys fan. But trust me, I hated that as much as most Cowboys fans because reality set in that the Green Bay Packers with three draft picks over the span of 45 years are going to have Hall of Fame quarterback play. And I tweeted this on my personal account that the Vikings could have 20 tries at getting one Hall of Fame quarterback and wouldn't get it right. That's why we have like 45-year-old Donovan McNabb. It's why we traded a first-round pick for an ACL-less Sam Bradford. It's why we drafted Tavares Jackson in the second round, RIP. And the Packers, like, oh, we'll trade a first for Brett Favre. Boom, 15 years of Hall of Fame production. Oh, we'll groom Aaron Rodgers, spend one more pick on him. He's ready to go 15 years of elite production. And then they draft this kid out of Utah State. I was like, well, that was – I don't know why they took him. I don't think he's going to be any good. And they developed him slowly. We saw him in preseason action or when Rodgers got hurt. And I was like, he's not very good. They finally whiffed on one. They're going to have to suck for a couple of years just like everybody else. No. Apparently they have a top five quarterback in the NFC and they're just going to stay elite at that position for probably my entire adult life at this point. So it's maddening. Like I've, I've seen the Vikings trot out Christian Ponder, like some absolute bums at quarterback. They can't get it right. Yeah. And the Packers once every decade and a half have to try to get a quarterback and they just nail it every single time. It's infuriating. It is infuriating. And it's a bunch of no name receivers like Dobbs and Watson. Romeo Dobbs, maybe. Who couldn't get it done uh, with Aaron Rodgers, but apparently Jordan Love, uh, who can throw off his back foot or with no feet on the ground at all, 40 yards down the field on target with uh, nobody there. By the way, Dan Quinn plays man coverage 90% of the year and in the first 40 plays plays zone and he could just get shredded and, and, and ha- look, you, you play 10 games without a middle linebacker. It happens. You get toasted on the ground. It happens. Uh, I am not hanging a divisional banner uh, in this house. We, we are not hanging that at Jerry world. Uh, only thing that matters in the NFL is playoff wins. And you do not win enough in the playoffs. Um, and again, if you're just waiting for Jerry Jones to die, uh, let me introduce you to Stephen Jones, who has the same money or will when he dies and is an idiot. Uh, you're you're stuck with him. Uh, but I but I still believe in my heart uh, that the Cowboys front office, as middling as they are, is one of the better front offices in in the NFL, which is just crazy. They're a top ten front office in the NFL, and they make more money than anyone else. Uh, George says, prediction, the Texans will win a Super Bowl before the Cowboys win another. Um, C.J. Stroud is a stud. Uh, they've got Nico Collins, and when he's healthy again, uh, the kid from Houston, who I just forgot his name, but uh, what's his name? Tank Dell. Tank Dell. Uh, they also have uh, Devin Singletary, who never did anything in Buffalo, and now is like the leading rusher in the NFL over the last six weeks. <laughs> just unreal uh they also have laramie tunsil i think they have a really good roster um now if they keep if they uh, catch the chiefs off guard and if uh i don't know the steelers beat the bills then they don't have to play the ravens in their next matchup the texans could sneak to the afc championship and you don't want to play a, a hot team in the playoffs but i don't think they can beat the ravens this year but if you told me if i had to pick one the texans or the cowboys 
Uh, I still think the Cowboys and the NFC have a better path to the Super Bowl than the than the Texans do, uh, especially when you have to go through Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, who has fell off in the last couple of years, but is still Josh Allen. I I don't know. I, I think you know Kyle. I know you think highly of C.J. Stroud. I do too, um, especially on a rookie deal. If you can build a roster while your quarterback's on a rookie deal. You have a great opportunity. Think of the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. That's how you're good in the NFL. You have to have a young quarterback, a good quarterback, and money. And that's the way to do it. And they got Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud in the top five picks. That might be the best draft ever if it pans out. Yeah, you're right. Though. All the good quarterbacks are in the AFC. Like, I think Stroud, Trevor Lawrence – Justin Herbert, like mostly unproven guys, but in one to three or four years in the league have flashed something serious at the top. If you if you still buy Burrow when he's healthy, like you've got Burrow, Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. Then in the NFC, it's like Jalen Hurts is getting shoved forward for a few yards every play, and Jordan Love is apparently really good, and Brock Purdy runs Kyle Shanahan's system really well. But you don't see just like these elite arms top to bottom like you do in the AFC. And I, I don't know, like in the NBA, when the East or the West is top heavy, that usually kind of evens out in free agency. But it, it seems less fluid in the NFL, especially at the quarterback position. If you have a guy like that, you lock him down long term. So could just be that way for a while. And it, and it kind of was in the AFC with Brady, Manning, and then to a lesser extent, Roethlisberger for a decade and a half. And we might just be seeing a new version of that where in the divisional round on the AFC side every year, it's going to be some elite quarterback play. Mahomes, Stroud, if he keeps on this trajectory, plus an Allen, Burrow, Lamar Jackson type guy, maybe even Herbert Lawrence. And then on the NFC, it's like, I don't know, kind of there for the taking in a lot of ways. If, if you don't believe that like Dak is at that elite level and you think Jordan Love is trending up that way, I don't know, just fewer elite arms, it seems like, in the NFC right now. Yeah, contract-wise, Dak Prescott, you're paying him $30 million base salary next year with a $60 million cap hit. Like, wh- who, how do you change your team when that's the cap structure of your best player? As opposed to CJ Stroud, who's going to make, I don't know, $5 million next year on a rookie deal uh, with way less of a cap hit. I, I just, I don't know how you fix this roster. Uh, I've heard Bill Belichick same. I don't know that that helps. We we talked about uh, on Twitter and in the Discord, Vrabel and Kingsbury taking over. Uh, kind you want to know? You want to know what hiring Bill Belichick would be the equivalent of? What? Kansas hiring Les Miles like yeah. ten years after he peaked. Yeah. Like yeah, okay, and the name, sure, the resume, but like, what in the last five years? makes you think Bill Belichick is the answer to, like, if you've won 36 regular season games in the last few years and you're just looking for that little something extra to make you count in the playoffs, what makes you think Bill Belichick at this moment in time is that guy? I mean, is he going to bring Matt Patricia uh, over as the offensive coordinator like he did two years ago? Like, that's that's the Bill Belichick you're getting right now. You're not getting prime Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels and, hey, second mention on the podcast tonight, Charlie Weiss. Uh, who's doing that offense, you're getting Steve Belichick running the defense and Matt Patricia calling plays. That's the kind of Bill Belichick you're getting right now. 
Um, I don't know. I, Nick Saban left college football. Uh, does he want a shot at the NFL? I don't know. He's 72. Surely he rides off into the sunset. The Nick Saban who retired three days ago? That's what I'm saying. Well, he left college football. I don't know that he retired. <laughs> he left the door open for a return of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I mean, uh, Pete Carroll is available. He's been middling with the Seahawks. What, what does a change there do? Uh, I, I really do like Vrabel. I think he's a no-nonsense guy who, like, might clash with culture. Jerry. Yeah, you, you talk about culture. But in a good way. Like, he'd be like, hey, this BS sells tickets, but I want to win some football games. I know, like, in a vacuum, his tenure with the Titans wasn't outstanding or anything, but it's the Titans. And, like, he punched above his weight. He never had an elite quarterback. He got He got a lot out of Ryan Tannehill for a while there. And, like, they won some playoff games with Mariota and Tannehill. They had the Chiefs on the ropes in the AFC Championship game, and then Pat Mahomes happened. So I think, like, if you give him some legit personnel, they've been paying a running back, which I think is just you're always starting at a deficit if you do that in the NFL. Great defensive mind, great culture guy. I think if you pair him with a good offensive coordinator, that'd be a, a really good hire for the Cowboys. You could have had Dan Campbell three years ago. You, you went with Mike McCarthy. Um is what it is there. <laughs> yes, Money Manville talks. He talks all the time. Uh, but it just, I, I don't know where the Cowboys go. And, and it would not surprise me at all for McCarthy to get another year. It wouldn't. Uh, there's another question in the mailbag. Does he make it to breakfast? Yes, he makes it to breakfast. They they might fire him tomorrow afternoon. Uh, but again, if, if you're not going after Jim Harbaugh, you don't have to go fast. If you're not going after... Mike Vrabel, you don't have to go fast. If you think you're going to get some playoff coach, uh, you have a couple of weeks to do this, especially in the NFL. It's not like college football where you have to go fast. You're not getting players in the transfer portal if you make a, de a decision today or in a week. I want to lob something out there, and I want Money Mainville's take on it so that popcorn here, cactus emoji, can hear you talk. It, it's, I think, pretty unusual for NFL Guys, to leave a head job for another head job in the NFL, it does happen sometimes. I think something that could grease the skids there is if a head coach knows he has kind of like a bad roster salary cap situation. The Rams went all in on Matthew Stafford, and it paid off. They traded some first-round picks away. They won a Super Bowl. But Matthew Stafford's kind of old. Aaron Donald, kind of old. I don't think they have a great cap situation. They don't have – Young guys coming up because they traded away those draft picks. Sean McVay, I think, still very highly thought of in the coaching industry. Does Jerry try to go get Sean McVay from the Rams? I wouldn't be opposed. I'm pretty sure their cap situation is absolutely terrible right now. Just got a ton of guys under contract that are very, very old and are costing a lot of money. I think there are some bright spots on that team that, you know, maybe McVay thinks about like, Hey, I've got Puka Nakua now who looks like he might become one of the best receivers in the NFL. And so I think that's kind of an interesting side of it, but in terms of their cap space, the general age on that team, I think it's an interesting argument. I think, you know, as ironic and as deadbeat as it is, you know, does he want to leave LA for Dallas? I think is the big question. I think right now sitting in my freezing cold apartment where it's 11 degrees outside, I would very much rather be in Los Angeles, but obviously 
when you're associated with the Cowboys, it, it, it means something it means a lot more than, you know, being the head coach of the Rams. That's just the objective reality of the situation. And so if he's thinking, Hey, I've done this before. I've won a Super Bowl. I don't feel like my roster is really being optimized right now, but here's a situation where they've got a quarterback who, who maybe still has some upside. They've got a really strong defense. Can I capitalize more here in the next, you know, however many more years I want to coach than in LA? Maybe. Uh, just hire Dan Quinn. Simple. Dan Quinn in 2015 with the Atlanta Falcons, eight and eight, second in the NFC South. 11 and five, went to the Super Bowl. We know what happened there. That was the only time he won the NFC South, who has been bums the entire decade, especially since Drew Brees left. 2017, 10 and six, third in that division, lost a playoff game. Seven and nine, seven and nine, 0 oh and five. Some people are just coordinators. We're looking at you, Wade Phillips. Uh, Dan Campbell is not a great NFL head coach. To promote him, I think you're in the same wallowing mediocrity. Now, this is something I've said a lot uh, on the radio throughout my time uh, as a, a sports analyst here. If Jerry Jones is what Jerry Jones thinks he is, why does he not lay that billion-dollar wad on the table and go get somebody else's head coach? Why does he not flash the money and say, Sean McVay, I'll pay you double? I'll pay a double to be here. Uh, Mike Shanahan, you probably can't get him now. I'll give you $20 million. Kyle Shanahan oh. or Mike Shanahan? What'd I say? You said Mike. I think you could get Mike Shanahan if, if you wanted to. No, not 80-year-old Mike Shanahan. Uh, Kyle Shanahan. I just – if it, hey, Jerry Jones, get off your wallet and uh, pay somebody to be the head coach. You, you got Mike McCarthy out of retirement. Nobody was going after Mike McCarthy. Nobody. Nobody. And he lied to get there. When he said in his first press conference, yeah, I told Jerry I watched every NFL game uh, while I was retired. I was just kidding. From that moment, all right, I knew he was going to be a loser. Uh, now, he won 36 games in the regular season, is what it is. But uh, I, I'm done with Mike McCarthy. I love, I love the Sean McVay idea. That guy can coach. That guy can coach in the postseason. Uh, it's 24-23, and that Lions roster is way better than the Rams roster. I'm laughing at this tweet from our good friend Mateo Nomeo. It's a screenshot of an ESPN news alert that says the title is Prescott backs McCarthy, and then the blurb is Dak Prescott says if there are questions about Mike McCarthy's job status, quote, then there should be about me as well, end quote. And Mateo Nomeo says, I mean – well, yeah, I think that pretty much sums up where the Cowboys are at right now. Yeah, uh, look. Uh, hey, also shout out to uh, Sing Scarlet. Uh, lots of uh, Lady Raiders soccer players got in uh, the draft this weekend. If you want to hear more about that, uh, I'm sure the Sing Scarlet ladies will have a full report there. Um, Hannah Anderson, I know, went. I will say this, though. I just it, – it's frustrating, okay? As a Cowboys fan, I'm frustrated. Uh, we're recording this right after the Cowboys lose, so I'm blowing off some steam here. But I just I, – I, uh, I, I can't do another season of Mike McCarthy. I, I'm going to go all in on the Chiefs. 
Uh, I'll bandwagon the Lions. Uh, I'm not going to root for the Cowboys next year if Mike McCarthy's the head coach. Uh, a lifetime of pain has led me to this. It's just not worth it. it it's not worth it looking at that uh, dumb, blank stare he has on his face. Uh, the, the guy is just a moron. And, and he lucked, he played a ter- like he beat bad teams this year. Like it was such a fluke 12 win season. Uh, couldn't win on the road. Just Matt, uh, Dan Campbell went full simple Jack at the end of the game and couldn't beat the Cowboys in Dallas. It's just, anyways, Kyle, you raised your hand. What? I'm also out on the Vikings if they draft. I did not even know this was a conversation, but I saw Bo Nix and JJ McCarthy's names floated as potential first rounders. If we draft one of those guys in the first round or really before like the fourth or fifth, and even that, I'm not for it. I'm just done because that is such a high level of incompetence that it is not worth me emotionally investing in the outcome if the people driving the bus are that bad at their jobs. I'll just root for the Chiefs full time. I'll root for Stroud and the Cowboys because I live here now. But I'm not investing in any team that drafts J.J. McCarthy in the first round. His own team in the national championship game didn't trust him to throw the ball when they had a lead. Yeah, Like – that's what it is. That's what it is. You know what? If the Cowboys keep Mike McCarthy, I'm a Texans fan. I'll say it right now. I'm going to go all in on C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson and uh, their head coach there and, and D'Amico Ryans and just be all in. I'm, I'm all in on the Texans if Mike McCarthy's the head coach in two weeks. The bar has been set so high for a first-round quarterback at this point. If you can't convince me there's a good shot that he turns into Patrick Mahomes – C.J. Stroud, Jordan Love, those types of guys, Josh Allen, then there's no – and like nothing, absolutely nothing that J.J. McCarthy has ever put on tape will lead you, would lead you to think he's in the same stratosphere as those guys. If an NFL, he needed seven years in college football to be good enough to go to the NFL. He throws bubble screens. Yes. His average depth of target was like last in the country. He did nothing. Hey, he should go play for Shanahan. If they're, yeah. if if my team, I mean, if any team does it, they're stupid. But if my team does it, it's not worth the investment. I'm just like, I'm done at that point. JJ McCarthy should be Mr. Irrelevant. He should. That's a joke. He's not as good as Stetson Bennett. And Stetson Bennett was like a sixth rounder. Well, Stetson had some troubles of his own that that didn't allow him to stay around. Sure, but yeah. still, yeah. like I, I would, I, I have not scouted any FCS players. I could find a quarterback from the FCS ranks that has a better shot at being an NFL starter than J.J. McCarthy. All right, five minutes left in this game. The Rams have the ball. It's 24-23. I would love to go watch the end of that one. Any final thoughts here? Oh, Sings, Hannah Anderson, Alex Kerr, and Madison White all drafted. Final thoughts. I'll go quick. Our five foot eleven and a half point guard, Joe Toussaint, will rip the ball away from your big man. He will get on the floor to take the ball. Our catch-and-shoot three-point guy, Chance McMillan, will not only take the ball from your best player, he will pick him up and make him waddle like a penguin while he rips the ball away from him. Darion Williams, our undersized stretch four, will rebound what turns into be a game-winning bucket between two Kansas State players while one of them has him armbarred and will finish the end one. And then we'll yell, and effing one in your face because we are tougher than you. We might not win every game. We're not as deep as every team. We're not as talented as every team. 
The shooting is going to come and go, but we are tougher than you. Get used to it. It's not going to be fun playing Texas Tech basketball as long as Grant McCaslin is here. Oh, and the guy who plays the fewest amount of minutes for us will rebound the ball between two of your bigs, even though he was 30 feet away from the bucket when the shot went up. And then he'll finish an amazing layup that gets us back in the game. We will do that to you. Yeah, and I don't want this to be the narrative. I really don't. But somebody commented earlier, it's not uh, every man a Wildcat. It's every man a whiner after a loss. And uh, we just don't want that for our Wildcats. We well, we're not just going to do it to the Wildcats. We're going to do it to everybody. Right. But I don't But I don't want the narrative of every man a whiner to be uh, something that goes forward from this. I want to bury that and move it on and just think about Texas State basketball. Money, any final thoughts there? Yeah, big, I think, culture win over Kansas State. I think you did a lot of the things that you're starting to want to do, and you're going to have to do exactly that doubled on Wednesday. Houston, one of the best defenses in the country. They rebound every single missed shot, it feels like. You're going to have to play 40 minutes of your toughest, most disciplined basketball. And Houston, and it's two losses, has lost by all accounts because they've run into a defense that has slowed them down. Can Texas Tech do that on Wednesday? I think that's still a question I have that's unanswered about this team. I think against Kansas State, I think they caused some problems, but that's a team that cannot take care of the basketball. Can they generate turnovers? Can they force bad shots against an offense that's a little bit more efficient against like a Houston team? And can they ultimately, you know, overcome what looks like a disadvantage on the defensive end? I think it's a huge, huge, huge opportunity for this team. Even just, you know, if it is a loss to look back and say, okay, what led us to this loss? But a big opportunity to kind of lean into the culture and the identity that Grant McCasland is is really starting to instill here. All right. Toughest team wins. And again, just to reiterate, I, I don't want this moving forward to be every man a whiner, but uh, we'll, we'll have to uh, see what plays out. Texas Tech, Houston, this Wednesday night. Uh, we'll see you again on this podcast feed next Sunday night as we stream on YouTube. You can follow us there, youtube.com slash at Gambling Gauchos. Again, you can follow us at patreon.com slash Gambling Gauchos as well. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that. Uh, you can follow Money Mainville at, at Ryan Mainville, too. How about that? So uh, Some titillating thoughts on the board there. All right, that's all I got. Love you all.